Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If you are walking into work right now or otherwise have to step away from the radio, you don't have to miss out on the full show here on Detroit Today. You can always go to iTunes or wherever it is that you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you and listen to us whenever or wherever you are ready. A little later in the show, we're going to talk with a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, Scott Shane, who is a Washington Bureau reporter for the New York Times. Uh, we're going to talk about the Russian attempts to influence politics in this country. Lots about that during the 2016 presidential campaign. Lots about it now as there is uh, an ongoing investigation by Robert Mueller into the role that Russia may have played in that election. But it doesn't stop there. This is something that has been going on for quite some time. And Scott Chain is somebody who knows plenty about it. He lived in Russia from 1988 to 91 and wrote a book about it. More recently has written about Russian hacking and leaking in the U.S. election. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that for sure. But up front today, over the weekend, President Donald Trump went to social media and started a war with a senior senator from his own party. In response, Republican Senator Bob Corker took to Twitter and fired back. He called the White House, quote, an adult daycare. Meanwhile, Republican leaders are trying to work on an aggressive policy agenda, including a plan to overhaul federal taxes and a long-term fix for DREAMers. Those are children who grew up here but crossed into the United States with their parents illegally. Also looming, Obamacare, gun control, the Iran nuclear deal, and climate issues. But how are Republican leaders supposed to approach these major legislative challenges with any sort of reasonable strategy when intra-party fights are dominating the landscape and when those fights are being started from the highest office in the land. Here today to help us sort some of this out is Libby Casey. She is an on-air reporter of politics and accountability for the Washington Post. Also here is Tamara Keith, a White House correspondent for NPR. Libby and Tamara, welcome to Detroit Today. It's great to be here. Thank you. I should also say it's great to see you in person. Definitely. You have been uh, with us on uh, Detroit Today a few times, but I am in Washington today uh, broadcasting from the NPR studios here, and you live here, so we can have you in the studio, which is wonderful for us. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I want to start with a story that that ran in the Washington Post uh, this morning, uh, talking about how frustrated the president is and how he is reacting to that frustration and what effect it might be having on the people around him. And uh, I'm going to read a quick quote from it. It says, one Trump confidant likened the president to a whistling teapot, saying that when he does not blow off steam, he can turn into a pressure cookie cooker and explode. Quote, I think we are in pressure cooker territory, said this person who spoke on condition of anonymity. Uh, are we are we seeing the teapot? explode. I spoke on condition of anonymity (laughs) being a critical thing because someone does not want the tea kettle to explode on on them. them, Right, right. right. (laughs) So, I mean, is there the sense that this is, I mean, I think a lot of people who are, who watch this administration from the outside uh, see the president as as a pretty irascible guy and that uh, his temper gets the better of him more often then maybe it should. This person seems to be sort of confirming that. 
this goes in waves. I mean, I don't think this is the tipping point of, of anything necessarily. We've seen those moments before where people said, wow, this could be the last straw of you know this relationship or that agenda item. This is all part of a continuous cycle. Um, Tam, I'd be curious to know if you think that it's, it's reached a heightened stage. But what's unique about this moment is that Senator Bob Corker, although he is retiring, is still a very powerful and influential senator on Capitol Hill. Mm-hmm. And for him to come out and say just point blank, yes, you know, there, there are real concerns about how the White House is functioning, how the White House is having to control the president of the United States. Um, that has been uh, a, a change in sort of blunt bluntness and, and strategy. And it was crickets yesterday from other Republicans. <laughs> I mean, you did not hear other Republicans wanting to agree with Senator Corker, but they also didn't seem to want to throw him under the bus. So you had these very sort of mild statements coming out. <laughs> Senator Corker's a great guy. You know? <laughs> so people didn't want to jump onto that right. you know, precipice with him. Um, but he's saying what may be in a lot of Republicans' minds. Yeah. Well, and in that in New York Times interview that Senator Corker did, he said many other Republicans in the Senate believe what I just said, but they just aren't saying it. The Senate is not in this week. Mm-hmm. They're back next week. I am almost certain that the other 51 Republican senators will be asked by reporters in every hallway in the Capitol, do you agree with Senator Corker's assessment that, you know, the White House has to manage the president, that he's risking World War Three? Right. I mean, this is very strong language coming from Corker. I mean, I... I think a lot of people expected that there would be dissension, right, uh, around this president, given the fact that he wasn't really a Republican to begin with, uh, given the dissatisfaction the, the, this, the, this with uh, his campaign. I, it seems early, though, for this to be coming out, uh, for someone as senior as, as Bob Corker to be taking this tack uh, nine, ten months into the, into the administration. Well, and the fascinating thing here is that Corker is not the person that you would expect to do this. Right. He is someone who actually, Very loyal. He, and he lent uh, candidate Trump credibility during the campaign. He tried to operate within the Trump system, tried to work with him, uh, had regular conversations with him, was, was someone who, uh, as President Trump was operating as president, he was working with him. And then something changed. Yeah. And, you know, President Trump, um, he forever has been what they say, he's a counterpuncher. He doesn't punch <laughs> first, he's a counterpuncher. Well, uh, Bob Corker uh, said some things about the president's response to Charlottesville um, that were pretty critical. Sure. Um, as did a lot of people, uh, because the president's response to Charlottesville was widely seen, including by many in his own party, as not well handled. Mm-hmm. And... President Trump has begun punching back at Corker and then Corker isn't taking it. He's also he's retiring, um, which uh, makes it so that he can be sort of more free with what he says. And and the other thing I will just add about this is that this could be problematic for the president's agenda. Bob Corker has already said before this latest uh, flare up with the president He's already said he has great concerns about the tax overhaul sure. that Republicans and the president came out with. Yeah. And, he, you know, he's for for deficit reasons. And with a narrowly divided Senate, just 52 Republicans 
one senator matters a lot, especially if it's one senator who would normally be someone who would fall in line. Right. And and Corker so far has been in line with what the president has wanted. I mean, he was he was not a no vote on health care, for instance. Uh, so this is this is a departure. You know, I, I wonder also what role the sort of Trump the disruptor, I guess, is is playing here. I mean, this is somebody who's been open about his frustration with the the Washington culture, with the fact that things can't get done. He has people around him and has had people around him who uh, I think would like to see the party disrupted much more than it than it is. Is you know I always ask this question: Is some of this just playing to that agenda and and not worrying about whether uh, there's any legislative victory to be had? On the campaign trail, people were less concerned about party and more concerned about shaking up Washington mm-hmm. and just blowing it up, right? Mm-hmm. Radical change. Don't, you know, stick with the party if you can actually get something done. And they liked the fact that Trump could be seen as a deal maker. And we saw some of those maneuvers a little while ago with Democrats. Now, of course, Democrats are pumping the brakes on that because the immigration plan that the White House is putting out uh, has some things in it that Democrats are absolutely no way going to get on board with. And so they thought they might have some uh, progress on the dreamers, these young immigrants who were brought here by their families at a young age. Uh, But now the White House is saying, "Okay, we'll give you that. But in exchange, will give you some things that are just not, that you're not, not unacceptable. You're not going to want. So, you know, you see some some mavericky moves, if you want to call it that, to, to work with other people, other coalitions. But you have to look at winners and losers. And when the Republican Party is in disarray, the losers are sort of mainstream conservative Republicans, uh, establishment Republicans like Mitch McConnell. The winners are people like Steve Bannon, mm-hmm. who seem to really have an agenda to shake things up in some in some very fundamental ways. And as I talk to Republicans, Republican staffers on Capitol Hill, there are concerns from the staffs of really conservative Republicans that are running for re-election, not in 2018, but in 2020 and Mm -hmm. even farther out of like, am I going to get primaried? Like what they're trying to figure out what is the playing field right now? And it is it is a very complicated field to judge because they've got to decide how much do they push back from Trump or if they do that, do they risk getting in the sights of the Steve Bannon coalition here, the Breitbart team, right. um, and, and risking getting primaried and dealing with a whole other mess, um, even though they've been lockstep just, you know, right there with the Republicans on the agenda. Yeah. yeah and it isn't so much the Republican Party as it is the Trump Party. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have Bob Corker, who is, you know, solid Republican retiring. You have uh, that Alabama Senate race that got so much attention where the establishment candidate, the you know, the Republican that Republicans in the Senate wanted, lost in the primary to Roy Moore, who is the Steve Bannon-backed, ultra-right-wing bomb thrower who is not going to be a reliable Republican vote. He is not going to fall in line behind Mitch McConnell. He ran against Mitch McConnell. Right, right. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. Uh, My guests are Libby Casey, an on-air reporter of politics and accountability at The Washington Post. Also here is Tamara Keith, White House correspondent uh, for NPR. I'm broadcasting today from NPR studios in Washington, and we are talking about Washington and Donald Trump. He ran saying that he wanted to, quote, drain the swamp, really turn things over here in Washington and do them a different way. Stories uh, today and yesterday have talked about his frustration with 
the culture here in Washington and the attempts to sort of shred alliances and turn things over in terms of expectation in order to change them. What do you think about that? You want to join the conversation? Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Do you have any faith in our public officials to put bickering aside and get some work done? Are you happy the Congress is disrupted by infighting and outside drama? Are you a Trump supporter who feels like this is exactly what draining the swamp looks like? Or are you afraid that we've got somebody in control who is unpredictable, maybe even to the point of putting us in harm's way? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Libby and Tamara, I want to ask about legislation. This is a White House that hadn't gotten anything done of significance since it has been here. And again, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not sure that that's not in some ways calculated. Um, but there is stuff on the agenda now that that uh, he, the president promised to do, and that I think people are a little more focused and interested on. Um, l- let's talk about the tax plan. Where does where does that stand right now? As you pointed out, Tamara, uh, there have been a number of senators who've come forward and said, eh, I'm not sure about what this will do to the deficit. Um, is this is this fight that he's picking with Bob Corker likely to cause him trouble uh, with, with the tax plan? I'll start with you, Libby. I think it's a good question. Uh, there are Republicans who are driven to get this done for a number of reasons. One, they really need to put some points on the board. I mean, they need a win. And it's not just a, a symbolic win. They truly believe in in changing the tax structure. And this is their opportunity to do that. It's also in President Trump's wheelhouse, right? He's a business guy. He's a money guy. And so it fits his image and it fits what he really believes in and thinks should be done. Um, so, so they need this win. But they have ignored a couple of basic tenants, like what are the pay-fors? And there are real concerns, of course, about how the middle class will actually fare in in this tax plan. And with so much other noise, with the distractions of, you know, is the White House an adult daycare? You know, what's the relationship with North Korea? What's happening at the NFL? I'm not hearing a lot of people, like real people, talk much about what this tax plan will mean to them. And there are still a lot of questions out there. So we have to remember that sometimes this distraction, this noise, prevents us from from looking at the real substance. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not sure where Americans are going to are going to come out on this. And, and that may matter a lot. Yeah. President Trump uh, is supposed to be at this point building a groundswell for tax reform out there every week, going out, giving speeches, making a case that will make it so that the American people really feel like they need this tax overhaul, sort of buying cover for when the details of it come out mm-hmm. and you find out that very popular tax credits would go away or other things like that. And the lobbyists will come out in force. And the the idea is that the president and members of Congress, but especially the president, have to create this groundswell for it that overwhelms all of the lobbying that will will sink it piece by piece. Um, and the president is still giving these speeches like once a week, <laughs> But he's doing so much else and the NFL thing and this and that. Just to get to sort of technically where we stand, uh, 
Congress, the, the Republicans want to do this through a process called reconciliation. We've all heard about this before because they were trying to repeal and replace Obamacare through the same process. It's a budget maneuver that basically means that um, they only need 50 votes plus one in order to get it through the Senate instead of having to have a filibuster-proof majority. In order to do that, first, they need to pass a budget. So the House has passed a budget. The Senate is supposed to vote on something next week. Um, my sense is that they are not the same and that they will need to be reconciled. Um, and then that begins the process where they would actually draft the legislation right. for a tax overhaul. And then all I mean, then it gets that's when the lobbying begins. As yeah. soon as you start to get details about what would be in and what would be out. And that's it's a little get wild. that's a little different process, too, than we've seen in the past. Right. I mean, this is a White House that <laughs> that comes up and says, ah, we want tax reform. And here's a couple of notes on the back of a cocktail napkin about well, what we it, want. And there's no legislation. It's now a full sheet of paper. OK. OK. You know, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not it's not actual legislation. I mean, this is not a White House that's working with someone in the Congress to put that legislation together and then say, well, let's figure this out. You know, I think Congress is perfectly happy if the White House gives some broad contours and lets Congress do what, you know, get into the meat of it and figure it out. But they do need to go through this regular order process yeah. of having the hearings and creating a budget. That's something that John McCain had a real problem with. In the healthcare process, the healthcare like where were debate. the hearings? You know, where were the conversations happening uh, in a public way? Uh, you know, we will watch to see what happens with this budgeting process. Senator Bernie Sanders is coming out and saying the Republican budget is an attack on Medicare. Yeah, Medicare is a big topic right now in America, mm -hmm. and so uh, I wonder how able he will be to get people in in that mode of thinking of, oh, wait, what's what's this budget going to do to Medicare? Um, because that could get people, you know, fired up again and yeah. give us some of those images we saw on Capitol Hill during the healthcare debate where you see activists going there in their wheelchairs and, and being arrested by police. Um, you know, this budgeting stuff is, is a lot more uh, it's a lot more nuts and bolts, and I, there is a concern that there's some fatigue uh, out there. And so how much will Americans really be pay, paying attention to this process? Yeah. Um, and then there's the question, you know, of of where does this go if they can't get something done? I mean, Republicans are really freaked out about that prospect. Yeah, yeah. and they keep setting new deadlines. Like, <laughs> there was a time when taxes were going to be done by August. <laughs> and then come late August, early September, members of the Trump administration were like, we are going to get taxes done by the end of the year. <laughs> um, and there are 31 legislative days left in this year. And oh, wow, there are a few other things that have to <laughs> that get they done, have to do. like funding the government. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to continue our conversation about Donald Trump and Washington and the culture here. Can he get anything done? Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Corey, James, and Tom, we will get to you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. WDET, bringing you culture and information that empowers our community. Every day. On 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. 
And as always, thanks for joining us. Our guests are Tamara Keith. She is the White House correspondent for NPR and Libby Casey, who's an honorary reporter of politics and accountability for The Washington Post. We are broadcasting from NPR studios in Washington, where I am today and tomorrow. And we're talking about President Donald Trump and his social media war with Republican Senator Bob Corker over the weekend. It fits into the context of an ongoing narrative here in Washington. And that's the president's frustration with the culture here, his so-called inability to get people here to focus in and do their jobs and get things done on behalf of the country. If you want to call and join the conversation, uh, the number is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there. If you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Corey from the north end of Detroit. Corey, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, guys. Hey, how are you? Um, good. Uh, my my question is really for Tamara. Um, I know in various groups of friends of circles or cir- circles of friends that I have, um, we we keep talking about um, the Republicans enacting the Twenty Fifth Amendment. And I was curious as to if there's talks like that going on in D.C. and you know in in those inner circles there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so the the twenty five Twenty Fifth Amendment would be. Um, sort of uh, determining that the president was unfit for mm-hmm. office. And what is it? Is it eight cabinet members that you need to do that? I can't remember I what the number don't is. No. Um my sense is that, that up. Google yeah. searching now. Yes. <laughs> right. Um the, there's not I have not heard any serious talk about that. I have heard talk of that on the left sometimes, but mm-hmm. I've not heard any serious talk. And let's let's just be clear. At this point you have Bob Corker saying some things that um, definitely are getting into that realm, but he's not talking about taking any action. He's merely stating what he sees as facts. Um, you have a couple of other senators who have occasionally said some sassy things about the president. That is not a groundswell. Um, that is not the Republican Party, which controls both the House and the Senate, sure. uh, saying we need to do something about the situation. Well, and and. You know, this would have to come from his cabinet. It's, it's not I don't, I don't think it's a legislative or a congressional uh, action. It's it's the people around him. And, and how unlikely would that I mean, it just seems impossible to imagine. And what are they able to accomplish right now? I mean, what can you get done from the inside of this administration versus right. the outside? And we saw a big win yesterday for Scott Pruitt, who uh, you know had this announcement rolling back the Obama administration's clean power plan. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a big deal for this cabinet secretary who had challenge that legally when he was the attorney general of Oklahoma. Oklahoma, So he's like, I got one, guys, right? Like, I came in here to do exactly this, and I'm doing it. And there's a lot of questions about how, you know, impactful this action he's calling for will be, but it is a important agenda item for him. Um, You know, we saw a fascinating, you know, role uh, fight. I'm like, what is the word you use for these? Uh, Spat is like too, it's like, (laughs) it's too silly. You know, this is a fight that we saw uh, sort of unfurl last week between Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and the president. And above the water, above the surface, right, everything's fine. Everything's okay. Secretary Tillerson comes out and says, oh, yeah, you know, we're working towards, you know. And then under the water, you see all of this churn going on. And people are confirming that, yes, he did call the president a moron. Mm -hmm. Um, And you wonder how long. The president fired back yesterday, said, well, if he did say that. 
uh, we need to look at IQ tests. And he says, I, I can tell you who can win, which, which again, if it was never said, why respond to it? And that, so that came out in Forbes. And Tamara and I were just talking about that this morning. That's like, that's like the must-read thing in Washington today, this interview <laughs> yes. the president gave. Something that stood out to me, though, is the president said, yeah, you know, we're not filling some positions at the secretary, I mean, at, at the State Department. And I'm like, that's that's on purpose. Yeah. And if you're Rex Tillerson, you've got to be wondering, well, wait, wait a minute. Right. So, the, so the cabinet is, is loyal to a point. The question is how successful and unsuccessful right. they can be. Uh, uh, speaking of the State Department, uh, Mary on Facebook wants you guys to comment on the lack of Senate oversight regarding the dismantling of the State Department. She says this should be the major story instead of the moron exchange. She says what happened to Article 1? The Senate does play a big role in oversight of the State Department. And as you point out, Libby, uh, the president is not making a lot of appointments in that department and, and several others. Where is the Senate on this? Well, the Senate, there are some senators who have expressed concern that even though they want to fully fund the State Department, the State Department and Rex Tillerson seem not interested in spending the money. I mean, at this very moment, you actually you have the president tweeting about North Korea and alluding to possible military action or you know saying talks don't work and, and things like that. Well, at the moment, he has not yet nominated an ambassador to South Korea. Right. Um, there are a lot of very critical positions that remain unfilled in the State Department. Um, and there is concern about that. The Senate uh, does advise and consent. They they can't actually force the president and uh, and his administration to nominate people. Yeah, yeah. And there are some that are sitting and waiting for confirmation. Um, but this is that classic, you know, deal in the Senate where are the Democrats going to hold things up? How can the Republicans move things forward? And I talked to some Republicans last week on Capitol Hill who were frustrated with that progress. But it's like, do you guys remember a few years ago when the Republicans were doing everything they could to stop President Obama's stop appointments? It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Corey, thanks very much for the call and the questions. And Mary, thanks for your question on Facebook. Let's go to James in Rochester Hills. James, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, good morning. Thanks for hey. the opportunity. I have a very sure. simple question. Now that we're nine months, if you will, 10 months into the administration, do your commentators think that President Trump actually wanted to be president? Was this just a prize for him to win? <laughs> uh, and was he surprised that he actually had to win and now he needs to govern? <laughs> now he's got to do it for four years, right? Yes, indeed. James, thanks. I'll take the, the comment off the air. Thank you. Yeah, James, thanks very much for the call and the question. I'll, I'll leave it to you two to yeah, <laughs> I mean, that out. He swears up and down that he is enjoying the job. He did again in this Forbes interview that, uh, that just came out. Um, uh, so, um, he, but he's not really doing the job in the same way that other people have done it. And no, so, but he's got this awesome desk in the Oval <laughs> Office. <laughs> there are a lot of parts of the presidency that are fun, that are very powerful, yes. and that is incredibly alluring. There are also parts that obviously come with a huge weight and responsibility, and you are under the microscope in, in a different way. As a you know mogul of New York and someone who was essentially a media star, you know he was under the microscope in a certain way, but he could still control his own image and, uh, and could control the conversation uh, in a lot of ways, and he can't do that right now as president. And so then we get back to that story in the Post, the Washington Post, that my colleagues wrote uh, about the, you know, this, this pressure valve that needs to go off, right? When, when, the, when does the tea kettle get, get too steamed up? And 
uh, you know, when you hear from other people who have served in the presidency, they talk about how the White House can be a very claustrophobic place, right? You are you are in some isolated mm-hmm. uh, areas. Now, we have seen the president, of course, venture out many a weekend to his properties. And early on when he was down at Mar-a-Lago, you know, we, we got this insight through people at Mar-a-Lago talking about the president being very showy and on display with everything from, I mean, gosh, Tam, what was it? It was like talking about, you know, a national security and 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 sort of very publicly among his peer set, um, showing the the exciting, powerful parts of being a president. And it raised a lot of alarm bells from people in Washington because that's just not how you conduct yourself if you're dealing with uh, very important, secret, potentially information. Right. Well, and as to whether he thought he could win, I've, I've spoken to people who were part of the campaign early on and part of his inner circle, and. They say that President Trump is really probably the only one who believes that he could win. Yeah. yeah. And Steve Bannon. And I will point out a yeah, year ago. Steve Bannon came on. Later, I mean, though. yeah, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But, you know, I, we've all been thinking a lot about a year ago. Uh, there was this huge weekend in American politics that will go down as a big weekend, even though it didn't necessarily change the election in ways that we could have predicted at the time when this Access Hollywood tape came out and when it was announced that the Russians were interfering with the election and John Podesta's emails were hacked and leaked. Um, and that was a defining moment for some of the president's loyalists. This when Steve Bannon said, you know, you're either on the plane or you're off the plane, Chris Christie. You're either on our team or you're off our team. Yeah. And some real alliances were cemented in that uh, crisis moment for the Trump team. And some rather Republicans got pushed out. And there does seem to still be, um, you know, this memory of that moment of who was on the team and who wasn't. And who was not. And there are some targets still on those Republicans who said, whoa, I, you know, I don't really feel comfortable sure. with this. Yeah. Right, right. yeah. Let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um, I have a question. I'm wondering what the panel thinks about if um, the Democrats would allow some form of wall to be built, um, maybe even a token size wall, and work with Donald Trump to have everything um, that they want enacted, put people to work and uh, invest in infrastructure and stuff like that in, in DACA. And also, what would the, how would the base react to that, Trump's base? Uh, Robert, that is a, a fascinating question. So, what if what if in these negotiations with the president over over the Dreamers, the Democrats were to say, "All right, go ahead, build some sort of token wall, have at it," uh, but we're going to get all of these other great things in exchange? The issue with the wall isn't just the Democrats. There are a lot of Republicans who also don't think that spending all of that money on a physical barrier is the most effective way to secure the southern border, mm-hmm. including uh, border state Republicans. Um, there, there's a sense that there's modern technology, that you may not actually need a wall, that it might be cheaper to have a bunch of drones and more personnel, that there, there's a lot more to it than simply, and and there are rivers and and valleys and all kinds of geographic features and other reasons why Democrats aren't the only ones who think not building a wall, who have issues with building a wall across the entire southern border. Democrats, I think, would be open and have said this, would be open to some border security measures as part of a larger deal. Um If you go back to the 2013 immigration reform legislation, comprehensive immigration reform legislation that came out of the Senate but died in the House, that included a lot of border security measures that Democrats supported, and they're on the record supporting that. Um, So I think that's possible, but (laughs) the... the, uh, 
the hopes of a grand bargain on immigration don't seem that great at the moment. And and in part, that's because Republicans aren't that motivated to get something done. And one question is what the White House came out with. Is that an opening uh, start? Is that a starting point to to bargain? Let let the negotiations commence. Parade of horribles on a list. And and then we'll come meet somewhere in the middle. Or are these like Stephen Miller and this team in the White House that are really hardline on immigration? Are they like, no, this is where we're starting and this is where we're ending? There are other things in there like uh, cracking down on sanctuary cities and also dealing with Central Americans who are fleeing violence that Democrats are like, there is no way we're giving ground on those items. And then there's the question of how symbolic has the wall become? I mean, are Democrats willing to let the president have this win in a way that um, that would enable him to then go out and campaign in a couple of years and say, oh, look, I, I was able to accomplish this and this and this. Um, so it's both political as well as about the, the heart of, of what's at stake. Now, our caller brought up another great point, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And that was something that Democrats thought they could really work with the president on. Sure. And we're just not seeing progress on that point. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of just hearing crickets on that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, as we are on a lot of other issues. But uh, that that seems to be the sort of the MO of this White House is that uh, they're not really going to, I, I still believe that they're just not really going to get very much done, at least in the first at least in the first two years. Let me tell you what they have gotten done, um, which is not passing big blockbuster legislation, Mm -hmm. but very methodically going through and undermining Obama administration yes. policies yeah. in a very methodical way. Um, the, in each the, up each of the cabinet the secretaries absolutely is, is like you've got that. you've got yeah. Scott Pruitt at the EPA who's uh, reversing uh, the clean um, clean power plan. You have um, Jeff Sessions reversing uh, criminal justice mm-hmm. reforms that were put into Betsy place. DeVos. Absolutely, yeah. just just going through and reversing. And then you also had the Congressional Review Act, which for the first like 60 days, uh, Congress was able to uh, pass bills on an easy vote of 50 majority vote um, to reverse rules that had been put into place by the Obama administration that hadn't yet taken effect. Okay. Tamara Keith, White House correspondent for NPR. Libby Casey, on-air reporter of politics and accountability for The Washington Post. Great to see you here in Washington, and thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Great to see you here in Washington. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right. Up next, we're going to talk about Russia's history with disinformation and influence campaigns. Scott Shane of The New York Times will be here. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 